Well, a few years ago, my family and I, we were headed to Disneyland, and we, we we're annual pass holders there. We have been for a while, and, and we uh, it's kind of like what we do as a family if we can. We haven't done it in the last few months, but this one day we went there, and we, we exited the freeway, and if you've ever been to Disneyland, sometimes the traffic gets really bad getting into the park, depending on the crowds and depending on how many parking lines they have open. And so it was one of those days where it was extremely busy. Um, we turn onto like, I guess, Disney Way or whatever it is that you got to enter into the parking structure, and the, the cars are just pretty locked up, and it's taking us a long time. It takes us about 20 minutes to get up to pay our entry, and that was normal, or longer than the, the normal day at Disneyland. And so because of that, I was um, getting impatient, getting a little frustrated, and, and beginning to kind of just, you know, it wasn't a happy day. You go into Disneyland, you're kind of excited about having a happy day. It wasn't stacking up to be a happy day at that moment. And uh, we finally make our way into the structure, and it's still, we've got a ways to go, and um, crawling along, and there's this lane beside us that's open and it, there was no attendant at that lane and so what would happen was people would get in that lane and not realize it wasn't open and then they'd have to cut in at the front well that's kind of frustrating isn't it if you've been waiting patiently for your turn and someone just kind of blows through and cuts in and so we get to the front and um, that's what happens we it really had been a long time this lady comes in and she just up to the very front, and there's the cone. She has nowhere to go but over, puts her blinker on, and I'm just like, can you believe this lady? I'm just thinking, how rude, how inconsiderate. Oh, you're just really important. And so letting her in, you know, I let her in. I thought this would be the right thing to do. I didn't want to do it, but go ahead. And that was probably my attitude. Go ahead. So she gets in front of us, and she starts talking to the pay attendant, and it's just taking a long time. It's like she's having a conversation, getting a number. We're not exactly sure what's taking so long, but it's just this lengthy ordeal. And I'm thinking, it's not that hard. You give them the money and you... <laughs> and at this point, I'm, I'm steaming. And, I'm, and so finally, she, she's done with her thing. She pulls her car forward, but not far enough to where we can reach the pay booth. She just stops. And I'm just like... She gets out of the car and I'm thinking, now what? And I, she... She exits her car, and I, I honk my horn, and I say to her through the glass, What are you doing? What are you doing? And she gives us a look, and she walks to the attendant, and she starts talking to the attendant. I'm just, after a little while, she walks over to our car, and I'm just, I roll down the window, and she says, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize that lane was closed. I just was trying to work out with the attendant if I could pay for your car because of how long it was taking. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, and I'm like, after I had ripped her with my words, and I'm like, oh, oh, we're actually pass holders here. We should be more happy people. We go to Disneyland more often than you. But I'm like, we actually don't, you know, we'll get in with our, I'm, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I was still a little bit working through it, I think, at that point, but, and I felt really stupid and felt like such a jerk. So we drive up into the parking structure. Guess who we park right next to? As she's unloading her kids, and it's her. So we're just feeling even worse. But we've all been there. We've all said some things that we wish we could just easily take back. You know, we're about to send an email or post something on Facebook. Sometimes we're able to just hit the delete button and take back what we're going to say. But not so 
with our words, right? Not so when when we want to communicate something verbally. It's, you know, oftentimes it's just, it's too late. We realize, oh, I said it. I thought it. I said it. Now what am I going to do? On the job, maybe, you know, this gets us into trouble at work, doesn't it? Sometimes you say things to a coworker, backfires on you. Say things to the boss, backfires on you. People lose their jobs. Maybe you've lost a job because of something you said to your boss. Or maybe you are a boss and you were, you know, you had a stressful day, deadlines, quotas, and you just started driving everyone. And, and with your words, you cut some people down. You really hurt some people. Maybe they left or maybe you just know that there's tension because of that. In the home, we, we struggle with words in our home. We're all, you know, roommates or family members. We've all experienced times when we just wish we could have just kept the mouth shut. Why do we have to let that word go out? And sometimes we think, you know, I've got good reason to blow my stack. I've got re- good reason to just say what I'm going to say. But after the fact, we end up picking up the pieces of all these hurt- hurtful words and the damage is, is done. And So we're going to look at this. Over the next five weeks as a church, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. It gives us some core principles from um, mainly from some books in the Bible in the Old Testament called the wisdom books, the wisdom literature. We're going to look at some of these little they're little like nuggets of, of, of truth, and they're, they're just really helpful. Um, you don't necessarily need to understand the whole book. You can grab these verses and just try to get at the heart of that principle and apply it to our lives. And so we're going to look at a bunch of different principles today, and then also some, some brief passages in the Scripture to see what God has to say about this topic. So we're going to start by looking at this fact. And it's, if you've got an outline, there's a listening guide in your bulletin. You can follow along. And here's the first point on there. It says this, our words can do great harm or they can bring amazing benefits. It's for good and for bad. There's just some tremendous things that can come from what, we, from what comes out of our mouth. Some great, potentially some very damaging things. Also some, just some very good, good things that can benefit everyone who's listening. We're going to look at this verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 18, verse 21. kind of sets the stage for this entire message series. Proverbs 18.21, it says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So those who love it, I mean, the more you use it, you know, we will eat the fruit of our tongue. We will eat the result of the words that come out of our mouth, both for good and for bad. Most often when this phrase comes, like, they will eat the fruit of it, a lot of times, more often than not, it's we eat the bad fruit from from the words that come out of our mouth. We eat our words. We've heard that expression before. But this verse reminds us that when we, can, we might consider inconsequential information coming out, it might be very, very harmful, even to death, Scripture says. Also, our words they'll have, a, have a life-giving potential. They can add value, add life. Think about it. Can you recall an experience where you ate the fruit of your words, ate the fruit of your tongue, for bad. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was on the way down here. You're trying to, you're trying to get everybody to church, and it's just not going well. And you had to eat. You're eating the fruit of your words because you're thinking, "Oh man, this is talking about words, and I just let someone have it this morning." Or maybe it was, maybe it was at work this week. Maybe it was on the way down here. Maybe it was with friends. But this whole struggle we face all the time because we all communicate constantly, which is what gets us into real trouble. At the same time, it's a real, it's a powerful tool. God wants us to learn how to how to use this tool of the tongue rightly. 
But in Scripture, we find out several things, some principles I want to look at today. The first one is this. In Scripture, we find out our words shape our future. They shape our future for good and for bad. They bring us a few things. One, they bring us reward or poverty. Proverbs 18.20 states this. It's the verse before that last one. It says, From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. These words, filling and satisfying, these are words that are described are used to describe our well-being, our daily provision. You see that? See the connection there? With the words that come out, we're filled. The harvest of our lips, he is satisfied. This has to do with our ability to be provided for, our income. There's a connection in the Scripture between the words we say and the income that we earn. There's a connection between your words and your work. And it's a close connection. We might think, oh, it's not that big of a deal what I say at work. Or what I say at home and how that impacts my work. But the truth is, and what you find out in Scripture, is that these are closely tied. Our words actually can help us build income and sustain income long term. And we're going to look at the connection very, as it relates to our work, which I think is very important to all of us. We're going to look at that specifically in a few weeks. But I just want to introduce that, that thought. Another thing is our words bring us protection or trouble. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 3. It says, A fool... This is, and he's talking about, in the scripture here, he's talking about a reactive kind of person. Sometimes we, we lash out or we react in relationships. A reactive person, a fool, his talk brings a rod to his back. Actually, it brings trouble back on him, his or her way. He gets it back. It's like a spanking in a sense. But the lips of the wise protects them. A wise person, they choose his or her words carefully, and so they're continually protected. They're finding themselves protected and safe because of the words they use. Their, their words are, are doing something good. They're a blessing to people. This next verse isn't really in the outline, but I wanted to show it to you. It's an interesting verse. It says this. You've probably seen this. A fool's lips bring him strife, it says. I'm sure we've all seen this happen too. And his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Sometimes the words we say invite a beating. We don't need to have a show of hands, but I'm sure... Some of us in here have actually experienced this literally. At some point in the course of your life, you're in a fight, in a fist fight, maybe even close friends, maybe a stranger, but it, ha- it started with an exchange of words. You let some words out, and then it invited some real harm. Sometimes I've been with people, and there'll be an exchange of words, and I'll be thinking, oh, why did, why did he just say that? That's not going to go good for him. That's not going to go good for us because I'm with him or... We know this well. Our words do bring us protection or trouble. Another thing is the Scripture says our words also bring us affection or rejection. Affection, like people wanting to be close to us. Our words invite, we're invited into people's lives to be up close in their lives. Or we're, we're, we're pushed out of people's lives, the Scripture says. Proverbs 22:11 says, He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious. That word actually means kind or favorable. The person who's, whose speech is kind to another person. He's thinking about how to help. What does this person need? Oh, okay, I, I want my words to help this person. We have that opportunity. So the Scripture is saying, he whose speech is gracious will have the friend, will have the king for his friend. Gracious speech, what we find out is, it opens the door for friendship with people. It also opens the door with leaders. Bosses, spiritual leaders, political leaders, just leaders of Coaches, things like that. Gracious speech is the one that the leaders want to be around. 
those who have gracious speech. Leaders typically take a lot of heat, don't they? They get a lot of criticism. And there's just a lot of people pointing fingers or, 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 or really just commenting on things that the leader's responsible for. And so the leader tends to want to be around people who build them up. Not, not just to puff themselves up, but their closest friends are those who actually have this ability to encourage. That's something for us to, to make note of. Here's another interesting verse that gets at the same points. Proverbs 27, verse 14. It's interesting. I think it's kind of a funny verse. It says this. It says, If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. The way I see this looking is, maybe it's 5.30 in the morning and you're, you're a morning person. You're one of those people that you bounce out of bed 4.30 in the morning. You know, and just, but now it's 5.30, you've already had several cups of coffee, you're wired, you open the windows, you're singing, you hear the birds chirping, you're making toast, you're buttering the bread, you're excited about life, you're making all this ruckus, waking everybody up in the house, not only in the house, but neighbors can hear what's going on in your house. You're watering your plants out front, you're whistling, you know, and other people, their windows are closed, but they can hear all the noise you're making, and it's just, it's just great morning, and you just want everyone to know how great it is. Pull the trash cans out so you're a day ahead. You know, you're just, you got extra time on your hands. Slam the gate. You don't realize what's going on. And one of your neighbors pops their head out the, you know, the door, sees what's going on. Someone, you see your neighbor. Morning, neighbor. Morning. Great morning to you. This is what the verse is talking about here. You know, he may not be as excited to see you at 530 in the morning. He's trying to sleep. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter our intention or your intention, my intention. It's really their reception, isn't it? It's how they respond to it. Sometimes we think, well, this is just who I am. I'm a morning person. Now, I'm not much of that, but we tend to think that our words are justified by who we believe we are and our identity that we, that we have. But the truth is, the reception of the, the person is really important to consider. God wants us, He wants to clue us into this. Another thought here is this. Our words truly impact others. They can refresh. They can heal. They can even wound, the Scripture says. Look at Proverbs 16, 24. Words can heal. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You know, sometimes we've had a really rough week and someone comes along, knows exactly what to say to encourage us, to build us up, to tell us the truth, to help us see things clearly, and there are people in this room that, that are that way. They're just, you're extremely encouraging. You just know how to, how, to, how to build others up. You know how to use your words very, very um, appropriately and, and, and graciously towards others. And it's just, it's sweet. You hear that? You walk away from those kinds of interactions and you're just, you feel better. You're, you're uplifted. On the other hand, look at Proverbs 12:18. Words can also wound. Reckless words pierce. Like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This, this word, pierce, has, doesn't have as much to do with being pricked or poked, like with a thumbtack or a thorn bush, but it has to do with being thrust in, being causing, inflicting damage. There's a real gaping wound. This is the power of our words. They have the possibility to, to really do severe damage. Jewish teachers, rabbis, when they talk about the power of words, they describe words as like arrows. And not like a little tiny, you know, poking dagger, but an arrow that can thrust through and kill. And an arrow, 
you know, it damages long term. It gets it gets vital organs. It, it can do great harm. Our words can do great harm. They can do damage long after we're gone, depending on how we use them. Another thing is, our words can also help others to learn how to handle life God's way. We can use our words in a way to help people understand how life really works. Some people, they just, they get into God's word and then they're able to communicate it to others in a way that makes sense, that help others grow and find blessing in life. Look at Proverbs 15, 7. The lips of the wise. The wise is a person who knows how to handle life God's way. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. So there's a connection between the wise person having something different and changed inside their heart that they're able to express. They know how life really works. Deep down in the, in the core of who they are, a wise person is able to take the truth and, and send that out to be a blessing to other people. Careless words, though, can damage people. This is another thought. Careless words can damage people and their relationships. Look at Proverbs 16, 27, 28. A scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. You know, we've all been there. We've all caused great harm on others. Causing people to think, think poorly of others. Damaging, hurting, inflicting wounds on the reputation of others. It's our words that do that. They're very powerful. When we do it, we need to get it right. We need to clear it up. Another thing is this. Our words can prod others to react. They always cause a reaction, both good, positively, or negatively. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So we have an opportunity when there's interaction or a challenge to answer gently. It turns away wrath, it says. creates more positive reaction. But a harsh word stirs up anger. We, we know we always have a choice to respond good or bad. Our words can also get really twisted up. And the enemy, we, we find out in Scripture that Satan, the enemy, can get really involved. The enemy has a stake in our words. Matthew 16, verse 22 through 23. Jesus, at one point, he's about to die. He says, I'm about to go to the cross and suffer and die. He's about to give his life for all of us. For the sin of the world, he's about to offer himself freely. And one of his closest followers, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. So he's trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus turned and he said to Peter, who was one of his strongest followers, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, you're saying, you're, about, you're trying to make me fall. And many, many people can be a tool of Satan and a stumbling block to spiritual leaders. And so Peter, he's rebuked at this point because he's being, his words, he was taken captive. The enemy had a stake in what he was saying. Jesus kind of rebuked him. He called him out for it. Another place in Scripture, later Jesus, he goes to the cross. He suffers. He dies. He's resurrected. He, he's ascending into, he ascends into heaven. And then his followers, they start the church. God's Holy Spirit empowers them and they begin to spread the news about Jesus and people start pouring into the church. There's about 5,000 people that were in the church very quickly. And the Scripture says that people in the church were very generous with each other. They had what was known as fellowship, but they, they would share with one each other. They saw themselves as having a common ground. And so if there was a need over here and I had the means to give it, I gave it. I didn't just look to build my own kingdom, but people in, the, in that first century church, they were just very open with what they had. 
To the point to where people were actually selling their property, their houses, their land, and they would bring the money and they'd lay it at the feet of the apostles, the scripture says in Acts. And so there was this, this amazing thing happening for, for just seeing the generosity. And there's this one couple, they saw what was going on, and they saw an opportunity to get in good with the leaders. And so they sold some land that they had. They, they said, you know, we, we made this money. They hid some of it. They agreed upon how much they said that they were going to say that the, the land was worth. And so this husband and wife, they bring this money that really wasn't all the money, and they said it before the apostles, but they, the lie was that, or the problem was that they lied about what they made. They could have said, here's half of the money, and I'm sure the apostles would have been like, hey, man, thanks, that's, that's awfully generous. Instead, they said, here's the total sale of this land. They were lying. Look at what happens, Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter, one of the church leaders, said this. Ananias, he directs this to the husband, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied he falsely used words. He says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for this land. Ananias, he was trying to break into the leadership structure of the church. And Peter, he, he recognized what was going on and he called him out for lying. And he knew that the damage would have been much, much worse on the church if this guy found himself into the leadership structure. He could have done great damage because he was being a tool of the enemy. The enemy has a real stake in what we say. There's another verse here, Romans 16. Take a look at that. I'm not going to comment much on it. I urge you, this is a warning. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. There are people that will try to divide, he's saying. And they get very focused on strange teachings, strange doctrines, new, new ideas. And he's saying, keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They're out for themselves, he's saying. By smooth talk, here's the tool that the enemy, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Typically, they don't go to the leaders. Typically, they find people who aren't thinking and who don't have as much understanding. And so he's saying, look, warn, he's saying, I want to warn you on this area. Watch those who use their words for flattery, smooth talk. This is a tool of the enemy. The enemy can get a stake in our words. We have to be careful that we don't do this. But we're going to develop a lot of those ideas further. But this last thought I wanted to leave you with is this. The key is to learn to harness the tongue. This is a powerful tool. The key to it, though, is that we learn to harness the tongue and use its power rightly. A harness is what you use to direct something. Look at James chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. I'm going to show you a brief video as well. It says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man. Able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by this very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now he compares it. That's like the tongue. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. It's going to do great damage. Verse 6, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. We're going to show you a brief video clip illustrating just what this... He's given the imagery of a dragon. Our tongue is like a dragon that's unharnessed, untamed, and it just can destroy anything in this path. Let's take a look. 
लोगों के रेडी image there. But I think James is really trying to get our attention about the power. You know, between our our teeth, we have a deadly flamethrower. He's saying, this tool of the tongue can, can do such great damage. It can inflict such pain long term. Goes on in verse 7. Look at where James goes. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But, And you might want to write this phrase down. No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our tongues are tremendously powerful. You cannot tame the tongue. It will not become docile. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Gets us in a lot of trouble. Verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. He says, my brothers, this should not be. There's this tension between what should be and what really is. You see this in the book of James, on and on and on, or over and over again. But we must learn how to use the power of the tongue for good. We must learn how to harness the tongue. We must learn how to control the tongue. We have another video clip. And uh, this, is a, this is a clip that illustrates how, to, how when you harness the tongue, you can, you can use it in a different way. And so you're going to see a, a rider that has a harness on a dragon. He's able to use it to accomplish some things. So let's take a look. power. The dragon has the same power. But the dragon is now under the control of the rider. And the idea here is, this is an example of someone who's using the power of the tongue for good. Now, you're thinking, well, he's still burning a village. But well, what I'm trying to illustrate is that it's still powerful. The same powers that you use. But, and the way you harness the tongue, we're going to look at this next week, is it begins with a changing of what goes on in our heart. Because there's a connection, according to Scripture, between our mouth or our words and our heart. We just don't 
haphazardly say things and then we, I have no idea where that came from. Actually, what happens when we choose to speak, we're dipping down into what's in our heart and it out, out comes through the mouth. It's, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, the Scripture teaches. And so to put a harness on the tongue is to allow God to begin to change the heart, which will in turn guide the course of what comes out of our, guide our, guide our speech. Closing, let's look at Proverbs 16.23. It says, a wise, man, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. See, he's put the harness on his tongue. And his lips promote instruction. See, that's the, that's the key, is learning to harness the tongue by, by allowing God to change our heart. We're, we're really glad you've come to worship with us this morning. I'd like to invite Cody to come up here. and I'd like to direct your attention once again to that white connection card. And if you take that out, um, the connection card just helps us stay in touch with you and lets us know you were here. And I want to draw your eyes to uh, the next steps. On the back of that connection card, you're gonna, the ushers will be coming around in a few moments. And when they do, if you drop this card in, in the offering baskets, that'd be great. But here's some next steps you might consider taking in response to this message. First, identify, take some time this week to identify a recent time where my words created trouble. Consider the impact of them and ask God to show me what that reveals about my heart. I'd say this would be a powerful exercise for us. Just think about a recent time where your words got you into trouble. Consider how that impacted you or the people around you. And then ask God, God, what does that say about what's inside my heart that needs to change? And allow Him to begin to change that. The next step would be to write out this passage in James. We didn't really look too, in too detail, but it's a very, very helpful passage, James 3, 2 through 12. Write that out, put it on a card or a piece of paper. Put it up in your bathroom. Put it in your car. Put it at your desk at work. And just as a reminder to this thing is powerful. I need to learn to control. Put a harness on my tongue. Just be a reminder. The, the third step is, if you would plan to attend this series, let us know that you'd like to, to get to know our church, check out what we're doing, and be a part of this church for the next five weeks as we, as we look at this series in more detail. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you so much for your word and how practical it is, Lord. Sometimes we think it's just an ancient book that has nothing to do with our lives or real life, but Lord, what we find is that you've communicated universal truths to us, Lord, that that apply to us right here and right now to help us in our lives, in our marriages, on the job, with our roommates, in school, even today, God, at lunch. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to put a harness on our tongue, Lord, as we allow you to change our hearts, God. Thank you for all that are here, God, and we pray that you continue to work in their lives, drawing everyone here to know you in a very personal and real way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to receive the offering. And as they do, if you would also place that connection card in the baskets, that will really help us. And we want to thank you for your giving. If you're a guest, we want to let you know, we don't want you to feel any pressure to, to give. Um, the offering is something that those who call this church their home, um, it's their responsibility. And it's collectively as we uh, give back to God is how we cover things. And so uh, I want to thank you for your giving. It's allowed us to expand. This is, like Taylor mentioned, this is the first time we've done two services. We had a great turnout in our first service, another great turnout for our second service. So we're just really thrilled that to be able to expand and to um, just have more space for more people to come to connect with God. And so thank you for your faithful giving and appreciate all of you who set up this morning. 
getting here an hour earlier and just helping us construct everything, putting all this backdrop together. Every, everybody just did a tremendous job. And we just wanted to say thank you to all of you, all of the people that prepared the food as well. So let's continue in worship.